0: you're excited. If you're not excited, you'll just kind of say, "Self, you need to get excited because God is still good. Even if you don't know that he's good, he's still good. All right? It doesn't matter what you think. He's, he's God. He's all, God all by himself. So go with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter, and we're going to look at verse number 18. We've been, we're coming to the end. This is the last part of our series on do you really care? Do you really care? As as a Christian, as a born-again believer, do you really care about people? Do you really care enough to interface with people who may not have a relationship with Jesus and need one or who may have a relationship with Jesus but are on the fringe? They're they're on the outer edge. You know, they're, 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 they're out on, on the on, on the on the circumference of the circle, but they're not in the middle. They're not close to God. It may be, and maybe and so 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 we you know we need to uh, understand that it's important for us as born again believers to interface and and to connect with those kind of folks because God gave us a mandate here. So we're going to look at this this last part. It may take me two Sundays to do this. one. Now I've been good. All other Sundays I've done it in one Sunday. So I ought to get a half a clap from the church. Can I get a half a clap? This is part number nine. Yvonne, you ought to give me a a shout or hallelujah or something. Because y'all know my series kind of lasts a little bit, right? I mean, sometimes we'll be on part number 25. So I've done it in nine parts. I've I've, I've disciplined myself, instructed myself to the point that I said, we're going to get through these lessons. But this last one, it's so critically important that I might have to come back next Sunday and touch on it. We all excuse me if I do that. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Some of y'all looking at me like, uh, "You know, brother Pastor, just keep moving." No. today, our subtitle title for this lesson is "Discipling People." Now, this is so critically important and this is this is paramount to the reason why we are still here in the earth realm this part discipling people is critical to showing that we really care and so we got to get equipped we got to get ourselves in a position where we 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 know what this means and that not only do we know what it means but it becomes important to us I was talking to a pastor friend we we pray together every week and he was sharing with me uh, when when he said it, uh, he said it was a struggle that he has, uh, you know, and he admit that he's not as good at it, that, and that the church is not as good at, at it as they need to be. And I didn't know what he was talking about at first, but then he said it's discipling people. I said, well, brother, you're not alone." I said that is the, that's the most critical element of the Christian faith that we as a body of believers have to engage in. But the sad reality is, is that we can't disciple people if we have not been disciple ourselves. We cannot be effective in leading others and walking with others if we're struggling, if we uh, uh, don't have a good understanding of the spiritual process, our own self. So we got to get up to speed if we're not up to speed. And if we are moving along, we got to move a little bit higher. OK, so Matthew, the 28th chapter. And let's begin reading at verse number 18. Familiar passage of scripture that all of us, if you've been around church any period of time, you've heard this passage before. This is our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After he had been crucified on Calvary's hill, buried and resurrected from the grave. And before he ascends back up into heaven, he gives this this epic command, this this epic uh, call to service for all of us who accept Christ as our personal Savior. Matthew 28, verse number 18. Can we read it out loud on purpose? From the NLT, it says what? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Look at the next verse. He says what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Can we read it again? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 20 says what? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teach these new disciples, the ones that you go and share with and they make a decision for Christ, teach them all, to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, this is known as the Great Commission. So as we, as we delve into today's lesson, I, I, I want you to pay careful attention because this part is crucial. It's, it's really crucial. Discipleship is all about change. Everybody say change. Discipleship is all about Change. And I need you to understand something. God is the orchestrator of this change. And He can and He does and He has answered the question that many of y'all may be having right now what change to what? What, what, what are we to change into? If, 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 if discipleship is all about change, and you've been asking me, Pastor, for the last five or six years to sit, submit myself to the discipleship training process, what am I supposed to change into? What am I supposed to be like? So we're going to talk about that because God gives us insight into what we should change into. He's also revealed his strategy for how that change works in our life. Let me see the hands of everybody out here who have went about and you you observed some habit in your life that you said, I need to change that. Anybody? Let me see the hands. You haven't observed yourself and did some self-reflection. I know some of y'all like to say, I don't need to change nothing but I like the way I am and that's the way I'm going to be. I, and, and you know what? If you're that way, I am praying for you right now because none of us in here are so locked in and so perfectly aligned with God that we don't need to change in some shape, form or fashion. Would y'all agree with me? All of us have had those times where we look at ourselves and says, I need to change something. And, and, and probably 95% of us have done it this way. We've said, I'm going to change it. I'm going to start next week. I'm going to write my list down and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I am going to change that. Are y'all, y'all listening to me? I, I'm purposely emphasizing that. We've said, I am going to, ch- I'm going to be different. I'm going to do it. The problem with that is, as a believer, we have to understand that. The discipleship process is not about I, but it's about him. Can I get a witness up in here? See, both as a disciple and discipler, you and I need to understand discipleship from God's perspective. Discipleship is more than just a a long laundry list of to-do list stuff, stuff that I got to do and try to change myself. Amen. Jesus style discipleship. Everybody say Jesus style. Because I want to do it, I, everything in my life, I want to do it Jesus style. Hello? I, I don't want to do it, you know, Cooper Road style. Anybody, Queensborough style or Halton style. I, I don't want to do it Benton style. I, I don't want to do it reggae style. Yeah, man. No. I want to do it Jesus style. And so Jesus style discipleship goes beyond just making a list of stuff that I ain't going to do no more. Jesus style discipleship goes beyond that. Amen. it's, It's all about our hearts, Jesus' heart, and drawing those two closer together. It's all about our hearts, the heart of Jesus, and drawing our hearts together with Jesus' heart. It's moving past head knowledge and it's moving to heart knowledge. Everybody say move past head knowledge and go to heart knowledge. Now, I want you to go with me right quick to John, the 15th chapter, verse number 11. The gospel according to St. John, chapter number 15, and we're going to look at verse number 11. Are you still tracking with me today? We're dealing with discipling people because if we really care, we're going to have to learn the importance of discipling people. Notice what the text says here in St. John, the 15th chapter. St. John chapter 15, verse number 11. All right, let's go. It says what? I have, t- now, let's back up, who's talking here? Who? St. John, the 15th chapter. This is Jesus talking in case you didn't know, okay? One more time. It says what? I have told you these things. Y'all, y'all, y'all are not reading with me. Are you reading silently? We, see, in the church, we need to read out loud so we can hear the words articulated, okay? All right, y'all ready to read out loud with me? All right, that, that's a part of being here in the church, all right? Are you, are, are, are you is everybody ready? I, I need to hear, right? this, is, this is a call and response message. Are you ready? Amen. Come on, are you ready? Amen. Say it like you mean it. One more time. Amen. All right, there we go. Here we go. All right, here we go. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. yes your joy will overflow who's talking who's he talking to the disciples right next verse let's go to verse 12 come on this is my commandment love each other in the same way i have loved you verse number 13 let's go there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends now guys park right there just for, just for a second Jesus says, when you look around in all of the earth, there is no greater love than when a person will lay down his life for his friend. There's no greater love than that, than than you giving up your life for somebody else. That's what he says right there. Is that right? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Look at the next verse. Let's go. It says what? You are my friend's if you do what I command. Is that what he says? Next verse says what? Come on. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. Let's read it one more time. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves or in his servants. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything, the father what? I've told you everything that the father told me. Now Jesus, Jesus now he moves from, he says, you guys have been following me and I've been conveying to you everything that the father told me. So, so I'm, not, I, I, I'm not, our relationship is now different. See, friends talk to one another. How many of y'all right now, uh, you know, maybe you've been out of high school 10, 15, 20 years or so, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll remember a friend that you have in high school, and you'll still, when you introduce them at the funeral, which y'all see, y'all see each other every time the funeral comes around. You know, you, but you'll say, this is my friend. How many of y'all have done that before? You said that's just my friend. Y'all were friends in high school, but y'all maybe hadn't talked in 15 or 20 years. You said we still friends. There's different le- levels of friendship. You understand that, right? But but many times when we say friends, we have a different connotation than what the Bible is talking about here. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves or servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants or slaves. He says, Now you are my friends. Why? Since I have told you everything the Father told me. God the Son is operating in the earth realm, God the father is communicating with the son in the earth realm and everything that God the father in the heavenly realm tells God the son in the earth realm, he tells his disciples. He says, now, now since we got some communication, you no longer my servant, I got to call you my friends. How many of y'all want to be friends of God? Like Moses was, I, I want to be identified as a friend of God. Someone God can confide in, and talk to. So, so friendships, friendships, uh, discipleship is akin to friendships in a way. Your friendships, uh, no matter who you are, have at least one thing in common. I, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Every friendship has one thing in common. What is that one thing, brother pastor? I'm glad you asked. Well, at one time you wasn't friends. That's the one thing that every friendship have, has in common. At one point in time, you were not friends. Am I right about it? There's a time even <clears throat> there's a time even you and your best friend were strangers. How many of y'all got a best friend? I'm saying, everybody got a best friend. How many of y'all think you got a best friend? How many of you know you got that friend that's your ride or die by partner? Y'all, y'all going down together? Uh, y- 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 you guys are going... Um, you know, you're going to be there for them. You're going to stand up for them. I mean, you're not going to necessarily stand up for their wrong, but you're going to be there for them even if they are wrong. You're not going to, walk, you're not going to run away from them. How many of y'all have had friends in your life who did something wrong and, and then, or maybe y'all got into an argument or disagreement and then now y'all are not friends anymore? Y'all got those people in your life? How many of y'all know that wasn't really a friend? Because the Bible says friend loved at all times. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The Bible says friends are there at all times. Sometimes we thought we had what we call biblical definition of friend and they really were not friends. OK, but 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 when we look at this thing, at one point in time, you did not know this person. Somehow or another, life orchestrated your pathways and you cross paths and you interface and you got to know this person. Am I right about it? You got acquainted, and then something connected, something sparked, then something drew you together. And once you got to know each other, that was the start of a dynamic friendship. Can I get a witness? Anybody know what a true friend is? But as all of us, at some point in time, we got a best friend. You didn't know that person at one point in time. I don't care if you grew up from kindergarten; you had to meet in kindergarten. Y'all probably didn't know your ABCs, but you started playing together. Any of y'all got any lifelong friends? I mean, friends that you, that you knew since grade school and y'all still talk, do y'all know that's, that's, that's somewhat rare? That is somewhat rare to have a friend from first grade on up to now you 55 or 60. That is extremely rare. But it's, it's, it's a blessing when you do, okay? But now watch this, watch this. It's the same, again, think about this for a second. We had to meet that person and then we got acquainted with that person we started talking, there was a connection made, there was a spark made, and then a dynamic friendship developed. It's the same with our friendship with God. Well, let me back up. It's almost the same because here's the difference in human friendships and our friendship, our relationship with God. The truth is that unlike us, there was a point in time when we didn't know our best friend we had to meet. God has always known about us. Before you were ever born, God knew that you were going to be born. Before you ever entered this world, before the foundations of time, God already knew that you would be sitting in this church in the year 2018 on the last Sunday in the month of September. Amen. September the 30th at Elizabeth Baptist Church in New Louisiana. You didn't know it. But God knew it he knew you would be here. He knew that situations and circumstances would would orchestrate your steps to be here on Sunday morning. Some of y'all, when you were 12 years old, never heard of Benton Louisiana, but you are here right now. Isn't that amazing how God, God orders our steps. And I believe you are divinely appointed to be here in this place today because God has a word for you. Amen. He has a word for you. So, so, so our friendship with God is different because God is all already he's always known us before we were ever born. He knew us. Amen. Listen, he knows everything about us. Right now, how many of y'all got some best friends, but maybe there's some stuff you hadn't told your best friend. Okay, y'all got real quiet on. How many of you have some friends, but there's some stuff that you ain't told nobody about? All right, that thing you did in high school when your mama and them thought you were at the prom. When your mama and them thought you were still at the basketball game. And your mama would let you go to the game, but she didn't want you going anywhere else. So you went by the game. You went and bought your ticket. So when you go home and mama asks you, boy, you go to the game, yeah, him a ticket, mama. You stepped in the game and then told everybody there, hey, I'll be right back. I got to go outside and get something from the car. And then you drove someplace else and came back in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So when mama asked you, son, did you go to the game? Yeah, mama. Here's the thing. I I was there at the last. We we kicked the last second field goal, mama, and we won the game. Ooh, it was a good game. But you didn't tell her that you left after three minutes into the first quarter and came back with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm talking about that thing, that thing that you did, that you ain't told nobody about. Oh, y'all ain't got none of that kind of stuff? None of y'all have that kind of stuff in your life where, where you, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, even your best buddies, you even it, 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 you, you haven't revealed that to them. Mm-hmm. I ain't actually what you were doing because your you, you, guilt is all on your face now. I'm looking at some of y'all, some of y'all like, does he know? Holy Ghost, does he know? Who told him? Guys, let me tell you something. God knows everything about us. The hairs on our heads are numbered. God knows us. That's what makes our friendship with God different than our friendship with our best buddies. Is God knew us before we ever came into the world? He knows everything about us. Sometimes we can buffalo our best friend a little bit. We can tell him we're all right when we're really not all right. Hello? We, we, we can tell somebody I'm praying for you, and, and God knows we hadn't even prayed for our own self. Hello? God knows that. God knows everything about us. Guess what? He's always known us. And he's always known everything about us. And he's always loved us in spite of what he knows about us. That's the amazing thing to me. God still loves us with our messed up selves. God still loves us when we were, when we were not the, the most honest. We were not the most upright person. God still loves us. How do you know it, Pastor? Well, John three sixteen. Tell me, for God, what? So loved the world that he did, what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not, what? Perish but have, what? everlasting life. God loves us. can I get a witness. He loves us. He knows everything about us. He knows every crooked thing, every straight thing that we've done, yet he still... Guys, to be quite honest, that kind of love is is so, it's so, man, it's it's so amazing that it's hard to understand apart from the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. Because most of us will be honest about it. Come on. If we're really honest about it, we, um, you know, we sort of love people conditionally, right? Come on. How many of y'all are conditional lovers? You love conditionally. You're with me as long as I didn't do anything to hurt you. You're with me so long as I don't mess up. That's okay if you mess up. But if I mess up, ooh, we, got, we got problems got Houston, we got a problem because my friend messed up. He lied to me. But you forgot you lied to your friend two or three years ago. See, God knows our every little thing. See, discipleship is about understanding how to be a friend with God. God's always known us, but we haven't always known him. You know, it's, it's possible that when others first told you about God, then maybe you had a misconception about who God was. Because part of discipleship is introducing God to someone who doesn't know him or trying to get them to know God better, right? To have a, a relationship. Maybe, maybe, maybe your concept of God is, is stern taskmaster. How many of y'all grew up in an era where God gonna get you? You better do right, cause God gonna get you. That was our concept of God. Now again, listen, God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. So don't, he's justice and mercy. He's he's a merciful God, but he's also a God of judgment and justice. So yes, he's merciful, so don't take his mercy for granted because he's a God of justice too. Whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chases. He he disciplines. So if you belong to him, he's going to discipline you because you're his child. Any parent that loves their child will discipline their child. So, 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 So God loves us. So, so, But again, in this text he says here, he says, I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I told you everything the father told me. Now let's get back to, uh, get back to Matthew 28 and verse 18 again. Guys, based on the authority that God gave Jesus Christ over all things, Jesus gave his followers this last command that we started this message out with. This, this this is more so of a commissioning for service because he told them to make disciples. And, and guys, one of the reasons why I'm harping on this is that because I believe that this is a weak point for most churches. Most churches, most churches don't do as good of a job as we need to do in discipling people. And one of the reason why Most churches don't do as good of a job as we need to do in discipling people because discipleship can be a time-consuming, messy process. Discipleship can be a time-consuming and sometimes a little messy process. What do you mean by that Pastor? Well, if you think about it, think about your concept of, of, of relationship with God in church, all right? If 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 the totality of your relationship with God is is confined to Sunday morning and maybe every now and then on Wednesday. Every now and then if it's a special program. Or they got a music or a play, you come on Wednesday. Y'all got quiet on that one. Let me walk a little bit. How many of y'all know that we're here every Wednesday? Let me see the hands of everybody who's a member of this church that knows we're here on every Wednesday for corporate Bible study, and we have real for Christ middle school and high school ministry. Okay, gotcha. All right. So why do y'all think we're here on Wednesdays? Somebody help me. Why do you think we're here on Wednesdays? Just to spend time. Just to spend time. Okay. Just to come to church. Anybody else? Ain't got nothing else to do. You know, some places say, well, if you ain't got nothing else to do, come out." Nah, if you got something else to do, I still want you to come. Yeah. Yeah, but remember the old days that you should announce a program? Well, we're having a program this evening at 6 o'clock. If you ain't got nothing else to do, well, bless God Almighty, all of us can find something else to do on a Sunday evening, especially in the fall. It's football season. <laughs> the Cowboys on. <laughs> the Saints got the Sunday night game. We can always find something to do. Listen, discipleship has never been about convenience. Or, I come if I don't have anything else to do. I come if I didn't work hard today. If I'm not tired. Guys, let me tell you something. How many of y'all ever came to church tired before? Let me see your hands. How many of you have been tired? And came on and disciplined your body to come up in this place and lift up holy hands. And then once you got here, amen, you, the Holy Spirit got to moving in the place and you were tired, and all of a sudden your foot started to move a little bit. Huh? The psalm praise got good. Your arms were tired from lifting all day, but then all of a sudden, <laughs> I lift my hands in the sanctuary. I lift my hands. Then you get a little. Look, dip to it. Give you the glory. I live my... Did you start... <laughs> we got to uh, pull them back a little bit. To I, I, I just need to know that I got somebody here who's been tired before, him, but when you got to the house, of, if you can just get yourself up in here. Amen. Let the song praise begin to motivate you and move you. The word of God comes and speaks to your issue. Had you not came because you were tired, you would not have gotten the word that delivered you from that prison that you were in. Discipleship is not about just convenience. It's about sacrifice. And that's why so many people don't engage in the discipling process because it takes time. It takes sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Now guys, let's just be careful. We look back here he says teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even until the end of the age. Is that what he says? In the old and new testament a disciple was one who followed a teacher with the intent of becoming like them. Watch this now. A disciple was one who followed a teacher with the intent of becoming like them. A disciple follows the teacher to learn from him. A disciple follows the teacher to observe how he lives and then learn to live like him. Everybody say live like him. That is what Jesus, come on guys, that's what Jesus called his disciples to do and what he calls us to do. Follow him for the purpose of becoming like him. Follow him for the purpose of becoming like him. Now, guys, many Christians, you know, kind of get it mixed up a little bit. All right. When I say follow him for the purpose of becoming like him, many Christians have applied that popular idea of what? Y'all heard the term behavior modification. We've we've taken, taken that term behavior modification and applied it to Christianity in the church. In other words, you try to look different or act different. Or to act like a Christian. And we erroneously call that growing in the Christian faith. I'm going to act like a Christian. I'm going to look like a Christian. I'm going to talk like a Christian. You know, Christians have their own language. It's like every other profession has their own language. You know, lawyers talk in in, in a different way. Medical professions, professionals talk in a different way. They, They may call something an intestine. I may call it the gut. Intestines. Your gut. Huh? We have different terminology. When I was in banking, we had different terminology. Uh, in banking, they'll use the term, have you built up equity in your property? How many y'all know what equity is? What is equity? What is equity? Some of y'all remember, the difference between the value of the house and what you owe on the house. That's called equity. And that's, that. do you not know you can go, to a bank and borrow money based on the amount of equity that you have in your house and they'll give you money because they know that ultimately if you don't pay that loan, they can come sell your house and because of what the first mortgage owes and what the second mortgage may be which is the equity loan that you got it's, it's less than what the value of the house is. Now the problem comes in is if the value of the house come on now bankers is less than the value of uh, 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 it, the value of the house is less than what you owe on the first mortgage and the second mortgage. That means you ain't got no equity. You got fake equity. <laughs> but equity is a term that is used. Basically, it means money or value. We use different terminology. In the church, we talk about stuff in E sometimes, and that, that's what messes us up when it comes to ministering to people. I'll tell you, I'll tell you before, we have to learn to be genuine with people, and talk in a way and build a relationship with them, start with building rapport. Remember we talked about this before? Building rapport in our questions and our conversations. Because I can't get them saved talking way up here in some some, some theological language or uh, colloquial language that we've utilized down through the years as Christians. I I don't knock what we've been, and we say this all the time. If you're outside of the ark of safety, what does that mean to a person who's not saved? They don't know what an ark of safety is. Right? But if you grew up in the church, can I get a church person? I need a church, a a, a lifelong church person to tell me what is the ark of safety? Huh? Foundation of Christ. The ark of safety means basically it said if you're outside the ark of safety, get on board. That, what that means is this outside the arc of safety means that I never made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus as my personal Savior. So as a result, if I were to die right now, I would not. I would not be in heaven. I would be in hell. But if I am inside of the ark of Satan, in other words, I I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he was God and manifest in the flesh. I believe that he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. I believe that he grew up and and was crucified on the cross of Calvary. He died, buried, resurrected, the third day according to the scripture. And I trust in that sacrifice in believing in that to have a right relationship with God so that if I were to die right now, To be asked from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's basically what the ark of safety means. It means that if I die right now, hey, whether I live or I die, I'm going to be cool. Because I got Jesus in my heart. I'm safe in his arms. Can I get a witness? I am safe in his arms such that nothing can stop me from getting to God. Are oh, y'all listening to me? But now when I'm talking to someone who's not saved or if I'm dealing with a, a Christian convert who's a baby in Christ, I got to talk in plain language. I can't, I can't talk in parables. Some of y'all are talking parables. I love you, but you talk in parables. I love you, but you're not plain enough in when you're sharing with people about what, what God can do in their life. We got we to gotta, we gotta stop talking in parables and get down to where they live. And that comes from being in close friendship with people, Okay. We got to become friends of God, but not only friends of God, but friends of people, too. Okay, so but again, it goes beyond behavior modification. We got to become everybody say become. There are folks who can change the way they do stuff. But deep down inside, they still unchanged in here. You learn how to put on that face of what you think a Christian ought to look like. And many believers, many believers have bought into the idea that that is all their ears to becoming more Christ-like and experiencing genuine life change, just to stop doing a certain thing. It's not about stop doing there's some things you ought to stop, but it's about becoming something. Everybody say becoming. Now, now, now watch this, watch this. Biblically, Christ in being a Christian and being a disciple goes beyond just you know changing a habit or behavior modification. Now, true enough, there's some stuff that we as Christians ought to stop. If, I told y'all before one, one thing about: if you're a Christian, there's no reason why you should be using profane and foul language. That's a pet peeve of mine. Cause you know what? You know why that's a pet peeve of mine? It's because your mouth. The Bible says, "Death and life is in the power of the tongue." And they that love it eat the fruit thereof. Why is it that you, as a born again, saved Christian, can't talk? in in language or words that are in Webster's Dictionary or the Merriam-Webster Dictionary or or Wikipedia, whatever. Why is it that we can't say words that that, that are God-honoring in our conversations? Do you not realize when people listen to you talk, they're making judgment and determination on you based on how you talk? How many of you know that the better you can communicate and the better you can articulate your message, the more apt you are to win the sale or get the job? Right? Am I right about it? All right, but but now if you're out there interfacing with people, and we've been called to be disciple makers, but you have a foul potty mouth, this potty mouth, somebody go get me some soap. Give me some. I want. I I need to bring some soap to church. And if you got a potty mouth, we're gonna have a potty mouth washing service (laughs) for every believer who does not know how to control their tongue, their mouth. Because, guys, you don't realize that when we speak words, words have power. And what we say can either draw somebody to Christ or drive them away from Christ. So, let me say this. Again, once more and again, as a believer, we have to realize that death and life in the power of the tongue. So what we say with our mouths can impact our ability to be able to disciple someone. Because ultimately, how we talk on the, on the regular is going to determine how people view us, not when we come to church. Because how many of y'all know how to turn it on when you come to church? Come on now, you, you, you know how, to, how many of y'all know how to act churchy? I need some hands. How many of y'all grew up in church and you know how to act churchy? You even have some of those phrases, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. Yeah, brother. Huh? Won't he make a way for you? Yes, he will. <laughs> He's my bread and starting land. He's my water in dry places. He's my everything. And we know the Christianese, but what I'm concerned about is when you get out there, what are you saying? How are you behaving? How are you representing? You know, I, I remember, I remember very, very vividly back, this is going way back 30 years, they, maybe they still use the term, but they would say represent. Any of y'all have heard, the term represent, what does it mean when you say represent? Show up. Show up and, and represent your team, represent your class, represent your hometown. Whoever it may be, show up and represent. As your pastor and as your friend and confidant in the ministry, I am employing each one of us to make a conscious effort to become who God called us to become so that we can show up and represent. Guys, listen to me. I'm not sure if y'all been watching all this stuff that's going on with uh, the Supreme Court nomination and all that, but here's the thing I want you to recognize. Every person that's sitting on that committee and that's in the Senate or House or wherever, those people were elected to represent you and I. They were elected to represent you and I, and they should be speaking for you and I. But guess what? They may not even know what you and I think because we never even interface with that person who's us. Think about that for a second. You vote for somebody but never talk to them. And never express what you feel and what you need from your representative. Now, all of us in here are guilty, right? If I were to ask half of y'all in here, I'm going to go as far as say 80% of y'all would even know who your representative is. You couldn't tell me what district you live in. Say, say, move on, Pastor. Move on. Say, move on, Pastor. But guys, that's why if you never talk to your representative and tell your representative what your desires are and what you need from them, then they're not going to articulate that for you. They're going to articulate the desires of those who are talking in their ear. Okay. Hear me carefully. You have been called to represent Christ in the earth, and right now, as your pastor, I'm, I'm I'm trying to implore you and to tell you Christ wants you to represent Him a certain way, and He gave His representation orders in the book. All right, so now. If I, if I confess to know Christ as personal savior, then that means that there are certain things that, that's in the book that tells me how to become that friend of God. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm, you're no longer my, my servants. I'm calling you my friends because I haven't told you everything the father told me. So the question is, has Jesus been telling you everything the father told him? He can't tell you if you're not in the book. All right, okay. All right, so... Core principle. Write this down. Core principle. Core principle. I feel feel some heat in here today. Care is discipling. Because I asked this question when we first started out, do you really care? Well, if you as a born-again believer, have never taken the initiative to connect with someone and to help disciple that person, or you yourself have not submitted yourselves to the discipling process, then you do not really care. Remember, Pastor, isn't that a little, come on now, that's a little harsh, man. How you gonna judge me? That's what people say now, right. how you gonna judge me? I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Care is discipling. Come on. Watch this. Matthew 28. Come on, y'all. I told you I wasn't going to finish today, didn't I? All right, so I ain't going to try. I'm just taking my time. And, and, uh, and we're going to pick back up on next week. Because discipling is critically important. I'm going to give you some things. And I want you to write this down, but we're going—we'll unpack them a little bit more um, next week. Is that okay? Yes. Sir. Is it okay to call an audible? Yes. Sir. yes sir. Come on now. When, when, when the quarterback gets to the line, when is Dak playing today, Dars? Who they who they playing, Dars? You know, the Lions. The oh yeah, yeah. At home, at home. All right. Twelve o'clock. I don't. I don't know if Dar telling me that I got a physics this thing, much. <laughs> all right, all right, okay, okay, all right. But when that comes to the line, guys, listen, he may have a certain play call. All right, maybe it's a a, a, a draw. Y'all know the draw play is. Some of y'all like that's old terminology. Anybody know what a draw play is? Jerry knows. The rest of y'all clowns going over to draw players? I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it. that. That was so mean, wasn't it? Was that mean or what? See, you got to watch your words, right? My wife looked at me like. I, y'all, y'all, see, when you, when you know your pastor loves, you know I'm being facetious, right? Okay, so don't nobody go away. And don't clip that part out and put it on social media. That's what people do. They clipped that five-second clip. Pastor Adams called his church clowns. Isn't that a shame? This, this is context of message. Okay, listen to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. now really. A draw play is, is a play that draws the defenders in, so similar to a screen play. Y'all know what a screen play is, right? Guys pretend like they're going to block them real good. The, the big guys up front. But they kind of let the guys slide by, and then the quarterback dumps the ball over their head. They're rushing, think, oh, I got past that line. I'm getting ready to get the quarterback. He's dropping back, and he just dumps it over the head to to the running back that comes behind him, and then they go down the field. That's a screen pass. But a draw play is similar to that. He draws back like it's a pass, and the lineman pass block, and the line starts running, and then he sticks in the fullback's belly or halfback, and he runs up the middle. It's a draw play. You're drawing him in, and he runs right past. I don't know why I said that. I just, I am, uh, Kim, I have no idea why I just explained the difference between a screenplay and a draw play. Well, then, let me spiritualize it since I didn't remember it. See, the enemy tries to run a screenplay on us or a draw play on us. The enemy tries to draw us in. Help me, Holy Ghost. He will try to draw us in with something that's enticing. Because if I'm a defensive lineman, a linebacker, a DN, and I feel like I got a straight shot to the quarterback, I'm going to go beeline to the quarterback and not realize they set me up. They purposely didn't block me to get me to run out of my position, and they threw the ball right where I left from. So when the quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage, and y'all, how many of y'all know when a, another team is getting ready to blitz? When when the linebackers get up, the linebackers are normally back here, three or four yards back, but then they come up to the line of scrimmage like this here, along with other linemen, they get ready to blitz. So the quarterback's up there, Dak is up there, whoever it may be. Uh, uh, Who's your favorite quarterback? Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Drew Brees, yes, yes. Excellent. He's at the line of scrimmage, and now the play he called may be in a draw play, but he knows that the linebackers are getting ready to stuff it because they're blitzing. So when he does this, he does what? He calls an audible. He says, what I'm going to do is that co- they, they run in the corner blitz over there, KD. The receiver's over there, but the corner's going to lead the receiver and come try to blitz the quarterback. So now I got to call off. Check, red, 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 red five, red five, red five. Now, they don't know what red five is, but the quarterback and the receiver knows what red five is because he sees a blitz coming. So instead of running the draw play, instead of handing the ball off, he picks it up, dumps it up, uses a slant pass right to the receiver. where the cornerback left, he catches it, goes up the field. He called an audible. So I'm calling an audible. We're going to finish it next week. That's <laughs> an audible. That, it's an audible. Do I have the privilege of the quarterback to call audible? Can I get permission from y'all to call an audible? It came back full circle, didn't it? Care is discipline. If we never put ourselves in a position to be disciple or we never put ourselves in a position where we are discipling others do we really care about people or are we just going to go on doing our own thing at our own pace and ignoring what God has told us look at the text Matthew 28 watch this and I'm I'm getting ready to give you three three things I'm going to let you go and we'll come back next week all right, Matthew 28, get back here. Discipling people. We got to get there because God's trying to change us. Matthew 28, look at verse, um, verse number 18 again, 18, 19, and 20. He says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth." Now remember, this, when he says this, when he speaks this, he's already resurrected from the, the grave. He's been crucified and now he's resurrected from the grave with all power and heaven and earth in his hand. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse number 19 says what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what he says, right? Uh, guys, Discipleship is all about change. Okay? It's all about change. Christ promised to make us a different person. Not just make us appear as a different person on the outside. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. A new creature. All, all things are what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. He's talking about a new creation, not just doing some new stuff on the outside. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you different. You're going you're, you're, you're to be a species of being that did not exist prior to you except to me as your personal savior. That's what he says. The first thing we have to understand and believe if we're going to Experience that authentic life change and be more, be a more complete image bearer of God in this world. Be a more complete representative of God in this world. We got to realize that all, hear me carefully. All genuine, authentic life change doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. Listen to me carefully. All. True, authentic, genuine life change begins with God and not with you. He's the change agent, not you and I. Look, look, Philippians 1 and 6 right quick. Come on, Philippians 1 and 6. Got to get you out of here. Philippians 1 and 6. Watch this. He says, and I am certain, this is Paul talking to the saints at Philippi, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returned. He says, I'm certain, Paul says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you, the work on the inside, salvation is an inside-out process, not outside-in. That's the problem that most Christians have. They're trying to change on the outside before they ever let God change them on the inside. It's inside-out. My heart has to be changed. My mind has to be renewed. Before I can begin to experience true change on the outside, so, so, brother pastor, you say care is discipling. Let me give you three things that make note of them, and I'm through. We'll pick up next week. As Christians, there are three things we ought to do. We got them on the screen. As Christians, we ought to do three things in particular. Okay. Number one, we need to engage with people. Everybody I say engage with people. I don't care how uncomfortable you may have been in the past. It's part of your role and my role as believers. We have to engage with people. We'll unpack this next week. I'm going to give them to you. Engage with people. Y'all know what it means to engage, right? To connect with people. Number two. We need to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith we got to love in ways that grow and deepen our faith. Our our love has to become more real. It has to be deeper. Don't just say I love you and then never connect, never do anything, never show that love. Agape love is the God kind of love. And agape love is born out in action. True love is born out in corresponding action. Don't tell me you love me and don't ever do anything for me or with me or to help me. See, we tell people we love them, we're not showing that we really care because we won't engage with them. Engage with people, love in ways that grow and deepen your faith. And lastly, pursue holiness. Holiness is still right. Doing what God's word says is still right. Listen, we live in a culture now that, that, is, that is anti-Christian. We live in a culture that's that it's, it's a post, post-Christian America, guys. There are more people growing up now who don't or have no connection with church than there are who have a connection with church. So you, so, so we got to learn, how do you affect change in a culture, and how do you connect with people who don't have a foundation that many of you all in here have grown up, had growing up? Most of y'all, if you're past 35 or 40, you had a foundation uh, that was built up. Maybe you didn't you, maybe you didn't learn everything you need to learn, but you, you knew that the church was a part of what you did every week. And you learned some things just by being there. Maybe you had sleep most of the time, but you learned stuff by just being there long enough. But there's a generation out there now, guys, who don't believe that the Bible is God's Word. So tell them what the Bible says they gonna what, what, what does that mean to them? They don't even believe it's God's Word. So the Bible says, How do you connect with somebody? How do you show the love of God to somebody who don't even believe that the Bible is God's word? And telling them what the Bible says doesn't mean anything to them because they don't think it's God's word. And some Christians in the church who don't really believe in the true, uh, authentic, inerrancy of God's word. So those three things we'll unpack on next week. But guys, I want to tell you something. It's important that you and I realize that making disciples is a part of our Christian mandate. And let's not take that lightly. Engaging with people, loving in ways that grow and deepen our faith. That means that sacrifice. There are going to be some times when we got to sacrifice some of our time, our talents, and our resources to help people, to connect with people, to show that we really care and we got to pursue holiness. Amen? Jesus died so that you and I could have a right to the tree of life. He died on Golgotha's Hill, hung bled, and died, buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day morning so that you and I could be positioned to disciple people. And if we're not doing that, we're not fully engaged in the discipling process. God wants us to be, okay? Every head bow your eye